MSW Media. Thanks to Athletic Greens for supporting the Daily Beans. Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. Just go to athleticgreens.com slash dailybeans to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. Hello and welcome to the Daily Beans for Thursday, October 6, 2022. Today, the 11th Circuit has granted the Department of Justice's motion for an expedited briefing schedule in the larger appeal of the special master ruling. Trump and the feds have finally secured a third-party vendor to share documents. Trump said the GSA packed his boxes, but newly released emails show otherwise. Two of Elon Musk's funders have backed out of the Twitter deal And the other man who posed as a DHS officer in D.C. has pled guilty. I'm Allison Gill. And I'm Dana Goldberg. Hey, Dana, it is Thursday and it is almost the end of the week. How are you? It is. I'm good. I have a a little bit of bad news and I'm so sorry for this. It's out of my control. The show on November 5th in Salt Lake City, I got a call yesterday. They have to postpone the event due to unforeseen circumstances. And so I wanted to let our listeners know as soon as possible, if for some reason, any of you have purchased tickets that are going to be refunded, but I'm crushed about it, but I promise I'll try and get to Salt Lake again soon, but I wanted to get that out as soon as possible. So thank you for understanding. That's a bummer. I know I was looking forward to that. Um, yeah. I hope everything's okay. Everything is okay. It's just one of the things that was unavoidable. Gotcha. And also, you're going to be traveling this weekend, too, right? I am. I'm doing an HRC gala in San Francisco. We're going to raise a bunch of money in San Francisco. I do about 18 to 20 of these galas around the country for this specific organization a year. And then on the 15th, I'll be back in Los Angeles helping out the Family Equality Council. That's so cool. All this work you're doing is so important. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So you'll be out tomorrow, and that's cool. I think we have Amanda Sturgill, who will be on the show with me. And then also on Monday, um, you'll be in flight Sunday, so you can't record. I'll be in Cleveland, but I do have an hour-long interview with Michael Cohen. Nice. And I do ask some of the tough questions, so I think that you uh, will definitely want to tune into that. And um, yeah, it's going to be a a great week. And today on the show, Mike Fanone, Officer Mike Fanone. Amazing. Yeah, he's coming out with his book October 11th called Holding the Line, the Insurrection and oh, One Cop's man. Battle for America's Soul. Yeah, it's going to be it's a really great discussion. I look forward to it. All right. We have a lot of news to get to. Let's hit the hot notes. Hot notes. Uh, this is so fun. A federal appeals court agreed today, Wednesday, to expedite consideration of a Justice Department's bid to shut down the external review process, the special master of the 11,000 non-classified documents seized by the FBI during its raid of Trump's house. (laughs) Not the White House, because that's not his anymore. The Atlanta-based 11th Circuit Court of Appeals issued an order Wednesday morning setting a tighter deadline in the government's appeal to remove what prosecutors contend is an unnecessary obstacle to their investigation and potentially illegal retention of classified information, theft of government records, and obstruction of justice. Cool. The schedule set by the appeals court for the legal briefing on the issue is not quite as fast as the Justice Department wanted, but it's faster than Trump's team urged. Under the new schedule, Trump's lawyers would have to stake out their position by November 10th before it was November, I think, November 4th. And the briefing would be completed by November 17th. So they gave him instead of 21 days, they gave him 28 days. So all in all, it's going to be take one week longer than the Department of Justice wanted. And also, Judge... Adalberto Jordan wrote, no extensions allowed. Yes, yeah, <laughs> so, don't try and push this anymore. And that, you know, he had consulted with Chief Judge William Pryor on the plan. That's what that means. Because, you know, you have to consult with the chief judge in order to not allow any extensions. And so this seems like the appeals court thinks that this is important and wants to get this done fast. As we know, the Department of Justice said, hey, immediately we have to have access to these classified documents, the National Security Risk Assessment. And the, you know, the criminal investigation in, in, into the classified stuff is just way too important. And meanwhile, we have put in a thing that we're going to appeal broad, more broadly later. And so, you know, we know that the 11th Circuit immediately said, yeah, we're lifting that stay that Canon put on your investigation with the classified documents. This is about the rest. 
So no date was set Wednesday for oral argument, but uh, Judge Jordan's order said the special merits panel would be assigned to the case. So they're going to pick a whole new three-judge panel. As we know, the last panel that made the decision, saying that Cannon's ruling went against, you know, obvious precedent, that was uh, two two of those judges were Trump appointed. And of the uh, 11 judges on this court, uh, six are Trump appointees. And we know that Donald wanted oral arguments to not happen until next January, January yeah. 2023. And um, the Department of Justice didn't ask for a specific date on oral arguments, but said as soon as earliest convenience, please. You know, this is very important. We still have a criminal investigation that we have to get done that has to be done with these non-classified documents. And I've explained why. The legal fight over these documents found at Mar-a-Lago in Florida has now proliferated into four arenas. We now have the Florida courtroom of Judge Eileen Cannon, who first approved Donald's request for a special master, the Brooklyn courtroom of the special master she appointed, Judge Deary, the Atlanta-based 11th Circuit Court of Appeals, and of course, the Supreme Court. Donald went crying to the Supreme Court asking for one little change, which was weird and is still pending. And as we know, Justice Thomas has given the Department of Justice until Tuesday to respond to Trump's plea to the Supreme Court. Now, I think if the 11th Circuit Appeals Court decides on the appeal, it could moot Deary's work if he's still doing it. You know, because, I mean, he's going to be done per Judge Eileen Cannon's schedule mid-December. Right. And if the 11th Circuit comes back before mid-December saying, yeah, we agree with the DOJ, a special master never should have been appointed. Cannon never had equitable jurisdiction to begin with. That would moot Deary's work. (laughs) but. Trump could then appeal that decision to the Supreme Court and ask for a stay pending appeal, which he could get, which means Deary would not yet, you know, step down and, you know, give all the stuff back. So it's now kind of a race to see what gets done faster, right? Because the 11th Circuit could moot Deary's work. And, you know, we would have, might have to wait for another Supreme Court appeal because Donald can appeal to the Supreme Court on the fuller thing, just like he's appealing on the smaller thing. So we're in all these different battles. And the whole point of it, Dana, is to just delay and push it back as far as they possibly can, you know, so that Trump can announce that he's running for president, because I think he thinks that will somehow shield him from prosecution. But either way, DOJ does have and continues to use the classified documents in their probe. They do need those non-classified docs. But I think they may get those back faster from the special master review than the courts ordering it. We'll see. We'll see what happens. We will indeed. And AG, a second man accused this year of impersonating the Department of Homeland Security officers in Washington, D.C. Well, he pleaded guilty Wednesday to conspiring to impersonate a federal officer, bank fraud and other charges. Hader Ali's co-defendant, Arian Taharzada, pleaded guilty in August. So prosecutors had charged that the pair managed to convince Secret Service agents assigned to the White House that they were legitimate DHS agents with their impersonation scheme and labeled them a, quote, risk to national security. Court filings showed that four Secret Service agents were placed on leave as a result of their interactions with that duo, one of whom was assigned to the First Lady. Now, Ali, 36, pleaded guilty to all of the charges against him. All of them. The charges indicate that he and Tarhazeda were using the agents as a part of a complex money-making scheme, not to gain access to national secrets, just to make cash, apparently. Now, Aliyah also admitted to participating in a years-long $1.6 million bank fraud scheme that involved opening bank accounts in the names of straw businesses, charging purchases at other businesses controlled by Ali to debit cards linked to those bank accounts, withdrawing the money in the accounts while the debit charges were still pending, and simultaneously withdrawing the profits from the businesses that had charged the debit cards, and that's all according to these court records. Now, under the terms of his plea agreement, Ali agreed to seek a prison sentence between 63 and 78 months, but the judge could go below or above recommended sentence, just depending. He's going to be sentenced on February 24th. In his guilty plea, Tarhazeda admitted that the same conspiracy charge, as well as voyeurism charge, interesting, for secretly recording, Jesus, women having sex in his apartment. A douchebag. He, quote, showed these explicit videos to third parties. According to court documents, he's awaiting sentencing. I hope he goes down for a lot fucking more than that for doing that. Yeah, that's really fucked up. Yeah. Uh, so it wasn't any kind of weird conspiracy to get close to the president. They were just... Making money. A bank fraud scheme, yeah. 
Greed. All right. Former President Trump publicly said one of the reasons the FBI found boxes of classified documents improperly stored at his Florida estate was because federal workers at the GSA packed up my stuff. They packed it all up. I didn't put it there. But documents obtained by Bloomberg News under a FOIA request by Jason Leopold tell a different story. More than 100 pages of emails and shipping lists between the White House and transition staff and the U.S. General Services Administration, GSA, describe the minutiae of moving the Trump White House from D.C. to Florida down to how many rolls of bubble wrap and tape, all with a plan signed by then Chief of Staff Mark Meadows. One thing is clear, the boxes were packed when the movers got there. They were already packed. While the records don't specify what the boxes contained, they provide the most detailed account to date of how the GSA assisted the outgoing administration between January and September of 2021. After the FBI's unprecedented August 8th search of Mar-a-Lago, the former president and his allies, including Fox News' Sean Hannity, Steve Bannon, Breitbart News, and former Trump Defense Office Kesh Patel, have claimed that Trump can't be held legally responsible for the dozens of boxes of highly classified documents because the GSA, the federal government, they were in charge of filling the boxes and shipping them. Quote, they packed them. They packed them, Trump told Hannity on September 21st, the latest effort by him and his supporters to deflect blame, which has since led to a legal fight headed to the Supreme Court over what records the U.S. Justice Department can review as part of its inquiry into the alleged mishandling of the nation's most sensitive secrets. Quote, the GSA packed the boxes, moved them to the president's home like they did for Obama and Clinton and Bush, and President Trump invited the DOJ in and said, whatever you guys need. That's Kash Patel on a radio talk show in August. Patel was Trump's point person for his presidential records at the National Archives and also a giant douchebag. It's not clear how many of the documents in this shipment contain classified documents that the FBI ultimately recovered. But federal rules require classified material to be transported in particular manner using pre-approved couriers and containers. So if they just wrapped them up and put them on pallets and told the GSA, snap, snap, take them down to Mar-a-Lago, that is not authorized for the transfer of classified documents. And I would put money that that's probably what happened. All right, last story in this segment, Apollo Global Management and Sixth Street, which were looking to provide financing to Elon Musk earlier this year for his proposed buyout of Twitter. They're no longer in talks with the billionaire entrepreneur, according to two sources familiar with the matter. Those two have pulled out. Musk and Twitter are in litigation now after the entrepreneur, (laughs) I like that they call him that, he's just... Elon Musk, after Elon Musk initially pulled his offer to buy the company, are in talks to end the case and clear the way for a $44 billion deal. Jesus. Twitter and Musk did not immediately respond to requests for comment, while Apollo and Sixth Street declined to comment. Now, Musk said he would finance the deal with his own cash, co-investors, and bank financing. Well, earlier in the year, Apollo was also considering ways it could provide financing to a deal, sources previously told Reuters. Now, Sixth Street was part of the talks as well, where the investors were looking at providing about a billion dollars for the deal. Isn't it nice just to have a billion dollars lying around to buy Twitter? Yeah, so Sixth Street was going to give a billion. I don't know how much Apollo was going to give, but the the deal is $44 billion. So he may be able to secure other investors. This deal isn't necessarily dead. Uh, I'm hoping the SEC is looking into it. If I were Twitter, I'd be like, is this, hey, SEC, FINRA, is this legal? Is everything chill? What the fuck? $44 billion. Jesus Christ. Let's keep it moving. And if Apollo, the hedge fund, if that private hedge fund sounds familiar, it should. If you're a longtime Mueller, she wrote listener, Apollo Management was the one of the groups with Citigroup that met with Kushner at the White House early on in the Trump administration. And shortly after that meeting, Kushner got a shitload of, of money, $184 million dollars. He was trying to get out from under his 666 Fifth Avenue albatross, the devil building, which is also the building, by the way, where Manafort met Kolimnik when he handed over campaign polling data at the Havana Cigar Bar. Don't ask me how I remember all this. It's it's weird, the stuff that's in my brain. (laughs) But, you know, that wasn't enough to bail Kushner out to the Apollo Management Group money. But, you know, I think they blackmailed Cutter to get the rest and they helped bail them out, even though Cutter came back later and said, we had no idea where the money was going. Of course. Just whatever. And then, you know, then MBS sends him $2 billion. Now, all of a sudden, OPEC wants to slash oil production. 
gosh, just what a tangled web we went. I'm sure it's not connected at all. No, I'm sure it has nothing to do with trying to make the Democrats look bad. No. I don't think, I don't think the UAE, Saudi Arabia, MBS, and Putin want the United States to be a, an autocracy. I think that's, you know, just a little bridge too far. Uh, it's totally <laughs> not. Uh, all right. We will be right back with uh, one of my friends, Officer Mike Fanone. Again, if you haven't had a chance to read that Rolling Stone article where he just doesn't give a fuck, it's really, really worth the read. And uh, I think you'll really enjoy this interview. Again, his book is coming out. Hold the line. Definitely get your copy. It, it uh, drops on October 11th. We'll be right back. Stay with us. After these messages, we'll be right back. Hey, everyone. It's AG. Let's talk about something I use literally every day. I have been for a while, and I started taking Athletic Greens because I wanted to optimize my immune system with supplements that actually taste great and take the place of the 20 or so bottles of pills and probiotics and superfoods and stuff that I was taking. It has saved me so much time and money, and it's delicious. With one scoop, you get 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole food source superfoods, probiotics, adaptogens, everything you need to start your day. Athletic Greens AG1 contains less than one gram of sugar. It's got no GMOs, no nasty chemicals, no artificial anything. And it still tastes amazing. That's why I take it with me even when I travel. And we want to thank Athletic Greens for their support of the Daily Beans. Right now, they're offering you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D plus five free travel packs for your convenience with your first purchase when you go to athleticgreens.com slash dailybeans. And in 2020, Athletic Greens purchased carbon credits that support projects that protect old-growth rainforests so you can be healthy and help the planet. I love that. I love that goodwill so much. Right now, it's time to reclaim your health and arm your immune system with convenient daily nutrition. It's just one scoop and a cup of water every morning. That's it. No need for that million different pills and supplements and everything to look out for your health. It's so convenient. And to make it easy, like I said, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D plus five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com slash dailybeans. Again, that's athleticgreens.com slash dailybeans to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. Honored today to be joined by my friend, author of the new book that comes out October 11th, Hold the Line, The Insurrection and One Cop's Battle for America's Soul, Mike Fanone. Hi, Mike. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Thanks for having me. Yeah, yeah, no problem. It's good to see you again. We've we've already spent some time together. We've hung out at Kathy's house. We've hung out. We've attended a couple of January 6th committee hearings. We've been there. And uh, we've hung out at Glenn Kirshner's Justice Matter Things, but it's it, it's good to see you again. It's good to see you. And I'm really excited about this book, and I can't wait to talk to you about it. I noticed that you split the book into three parts, before, during, and after, I think sort of focusing kind of on what happened that day and what your life was like, you know, before and how that day changed the trajectory of your life. Is that kind of the way that you see it as well? Yeah, I do. I mean, um, obviously... The vast majority of the book is about my experiences, not just on January 6th, but in the aftermath of January 6th, you know, almost up until present day. But there was a 20-year policing career that existed before January 6th. And I thought that um, it was important to, you know, use this platform that I've been given to address some of the issues surrounding policing uh, and police reform. Uh, and that's what the beginning portion of the book is, is really dedicated to. Yeah. And I think that, you know, I wanted to talk about that in light of this recent Rolling Stone article that came out um, because, uh, you know, I, I shared it on Twitter. People loved it. People really enjoyed reading The Authentic You. And and then there's something in here that says that it says, quote, he's tired of liberals who back the blue only on January 6th and conservatives who back the blue only when it comes to policing people of color. Tired of being given 47 seconds of airtime to explain how to reform entire police system. Tired of explaining why overthrowing a CVS and overthrowing the American government are not quite the same thing. And so I think that that's why I, I was happy to see that you took the time to kind of go over this entire policing career you have and your thoughts on police reform. And and like you said, where both sides sort of stand on, on these issues, because it is, it's like, it's always like heads you win, tails I lose or whatever the fuck, you know, like one side is like, yeah, we back the blue except, but, and only on January 6th. Can you explain a little bit of that and how you get into that in the book and how your policing career leading up to the point of January 6th sort of, you know, bears that out? 
Yeah, I mean, it really, for me, it started in the aftermath of the Michael Brown shooting, which I think was in 2015 into early 2016. You saw the the advent of the Black Lives Matter organization and then the movement that followed. And I saw my profession and my fellow officers really demonized and villainized in media uh, and also by some, and I underline that, some Democrat politicians, not all, but some. And that resulted in violence against police officers. And we saw a rash of police assassinations in this country, Dallas, Louisiana, New York City. Uh, and I attended many of those funerals. And let me just tell you, it was an incredibly difficult time for police officers. And we felt abandoned by our political leaders. And we also felt abandoned by the community, greater communities at large. But then, you know, along came the Republican Party in 2016, who pandered to law enforcement, seeing that trend. And they really did so in, a, in an unhelpful way. You know, that was a perfect time for constructive conversations about policing, community expectations, and, you know, different crime fighting programs or plans that that may be different from what we have been um, been used to in this country. But rather than that, they just said all cops are 100 percent right, 100 percent of the time. And, you know, we went back to this uh, us against them situation that was divisive and unproductive. And then January 6th came along and Republicans turned their backs on members of the Metropolitan Police Department, U.S. Capitol Police. I mean, you saw some of the attacks from more far-right media organizations, uh, not only against the agencies themselves, but against individual officers, uh, myself included. And then you saw this overabundance of support from Democratic lawmakers, many of whom, you know, wished ill upon us uh, just a few years prior. And I mean, that to me certainly was um, uh, ridiculous. Did it feel disingenuous to you? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, listen, there's a lot of people who's there's a lot of Democrats and a lot of Republicans who's um, you know, politicians whose support has been very genuine, but there's a lot who have not. And I mean, unfortunately, I think that's like a a statement as to this, you know, our our political uh, system, who we are electing to represent us in Congress, you know. Yeah, it's it's hard to find nuance in in this age of just black and white politics. It's 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 one way or the other. And trying to understand that things can be in between and have, you know, have gray areas, I think it's lost a lot in the in the very strong rhetoric on each side, which is unfortunate. Well, you know, Allison, I mean, that's what I was saying when I when I talked about 47 seconds of airtime to explain things that are incredibly complex. I mean, that's part of the problem. No way for anybody to condense, you know, even a, a fraction of the issues in a, in a constructive way into a TV hit. And it's almost ridiculous to try because you're always going to come up short and you're always going to leave yourself open for criticism from, you know, one side or the other. And then they just completely write off everything that you have to say, because maybe you didn't get a chance to include um, what it was that you actually wanted to talk about. Which boggles my mind because we have a damn 24 hour news cycle. You think we have all the fucking time in the world to talk about things like this constructively. But as I've learned um, now, having joined the ranks of uh, cable news, that is not the case. Yeah, no, that you get 10 seconds and then they just repeat that same 10 seconds over and over and over again. And that's that's been going on for a very long time. I remember when I was in college in my fucking dorm room in 1993 and my remote control, I had a little channel guide on the back of it 
because, you know, I, it, it was 1993 and that's the way that you <laughs> get, you know, knew what channels were what. There were no guides. And CNN was listed six times just because it kept repeating itself every 10 minutes. So yeah. I, I, I remember making fun of it being repetitive going back almost 30 years. Actually, wow, yeah, 30 years. My 30-year reunion is next month. Holy fuck. Okay. So, and, you know, going back to this, you know, 47-second soundbite thing, that's why storytelling is so important. That's why I'm so glad that this book, that you wrote this book, is so that we can actually read the long form you know, and and really kind of understand, you know, like you said, this extremely long and involved career as an officer that you had before January 6th even happened. And then talk about what happened on January 6th and then and then talk about, you know, how what happened after that. And, you know, speaking of what happened after that, I know that we I mean, right now, a lot of these January 6th defendants, you know, at first they were getting like probation or like two weeks or like 30 days. But now we're up into seeing some of the, you know, heavier sentences and especially some that were involved in the assault that took place on you, including, uh, you know, Young, who was just sentenced to, to 86 months, I think. Are your cases done or do you still have to testify or are they sort of, you know, wrapped up? Like, where are, where are we at with what's going on with, with the cases that, uh, that you're involved in? Well, first, let me address the um, the the varying of sentences. I'm in no way a Department of Justice or even a police department apologist. Uh, But I do recognize just from my career in law enforcement that the amount of cases that the Department of Justice is trying to dispose of, I mean, is it's mind boggling. Uh, we're, We're up to, I think, around 900 prosecutions. And I mean, I think what they've had to do in a lot of cases is prioritize based on the level of criminality. Uh, Trust me, it doesn't sit well with me that an individual who breached a restricted area into the Capitol in the midst of a, you know, insurrection uh, is tried and, and maybe punished with 30 days in prison because I see, like many Americans, the totality of their actions. But when it actually comes down to, you know the the brass tacks, like what the the law is. All they did was, um, you know, trespass. And so, when when you look at it from that perspective, uh, the the punishment fits the crime. That being said, uh, I you know I do think there's a difference between trespassing somewhere you're not you don't belong and participating in an insurrection. But I think they're doing the best they can. Now, when it comes to my cases, all of them involve uh, an ins- assault uh, against me. The the main individuals there were four of, four of whom: uh, Albuquerque Head, Kevin Young, uh, Daniel Rodriguez, and Thomas Civic. Civic has yet to take a uh, plea. Daniel Rodriguez also has yet to take a plea. Kyle Young and Albuquerque Head both pled guilty. Kyle Young was the one who was recently sentenced. He made uh, attempts to uh, take my firearm, and he also provided Daniel Rodriguez with the taser that he used against me. He was sentenced to 86 months plus an additional 36 months on uh, federal parole. And we're still, uh, I think the sentencing for Albuquerque Head comes up October 27th. You were telling me earlier that that 36 months of federal probation is a bigger deal than people think, because a lot of people actually have just been sentenced with federal probation. You know, some of the earlier cases, the ones that we were talking about, you know, trespassing or parading in a restricted area. But you were saying something about that's actually not easy and not fun. Yeah, no, listen, I mean, at the end of the day, nothing beats incarceration to deter people from committing crimes. Going to jail sucks. That being said, you know, don't sleep on federal parole and probation. Uh, Those guidelines are incredibly restrictive. You know, if you're an American and you're accustomed to certain freedoms and liberties, having those taken away and then still having to go about your daily business can be almost as bad as being stuck in a cage. 
a lot of people, in fact, defendants that I knew opted to serve out the remainder of their time in prison rather than try to adhere to the, uh, you know, restrictions that um, the parole and probation system would would put on them. What are those restrictions like? What are they? I mean, they can vary greatly. There can be curfews. You can be restricted as to where you can and cannot go, whether or not you can engage in, you know, certain type of leisurely activities, uh, you know. Yeah, usually you can't drink. You can't. Yeah, you can't. Right. You have to be home at a certain time or or you can only go to your job in your house uh, or. Uh, yeah, it's, I mean, it's. You know, it's it's serious business. And if you violate the parole, you could end up back in prison. Right. Most likely you, you will end up back in prison. Right. So they're not fucking around. Of the four, who was the one that ended up having your badge buried in their backyard? Was that who was that? Oh, that was Thomas Civic. He took that was my, Civic. He took my badge and buried it in his backyard. And um and he also uh took my radio. I believe he said he threw that in a dumpster somewhere. That's just it's it's let's get to the third part of the book now that I'm thinking about how how are you coping with it? I mean, this has to be like so traumatic. Um, I mean, well, I, I, I cope with it by talking about it. You know, I, I am grateful for having a platform as. Uh, as much as I do, I mean, as and as difficult or as much of a price I pay to to have one. I You know. That's it. Yeah, no, I, I understand that. I wish I didn't have to. I wish I hadn't had to go through military sexual trauma in order to have a platform to talk about it. Right. But that's how you know. That's how you end up making change and and changing hearts and minds. What what sort of things are you looking for in the future now? What's what's next after now that this book this book is finally out? Because I imagine writing it was had to be quite difficult. Uh, I mean, first, I'm mission focused here. Like, I I want to accomplish the things that I set out to accomplish first. And, you know, what will always be most important to me is honoring and acknowledging the officers that responded to the Capitol and fought against insurrectionists. Unfortunately, you know, here we are 18, 19 months out, and that still has not happened at an appropriate level. Congress did, you know, finally vote to award congressional medals to the Metropolitan Police Department, the United States Capitol Police, one medal each to be, I don't know, displayed somewhere. Uh, I think that's bullshit. Those institutions didn't do a fucking thing on January 6th. It was individual officers. And, you know, in the U.S. Capitol Police, as an example, it was officers acting in spite of their agency's deficiencies and failures and, you know, making the choice to stand and fight rather than to running away and cowering or in some cases, unfortunately, siding with uh, the insurrectionists or at least playing indifferent. And I want to see those those officers honored. I don't know what that looks like, but it damn sure hasn't. We haven't even come close to that as of yet. And in addition to that, I want accountability within the government for the individuals who elected officials who may have participated in those events and the ones that continue to defend that behavior. You know, I I want them out of our government. I'd love to have them out of our country. You know, I'm not one of those people that's going to uh, leave if Donald Trump becomes president in 2024. I'm staying right the fuck here. Donald Trump should leave. (laughs) Kevin McCarthy should leave. Those people should go somewhere the fuck else. This is my country. Yeah, no, I feel the same way. I've, I've, I've heard that a lot when Trump was president and during the Trump administration. Why don't you get the fuck out if you hate it so much? I'm like, no, I'm, I'm here to help and save things and preserve institutions. And I'm going to fight for this. And I also, I kind of understand, you know, when you have the platform and so many other officers seem to be going unrecognized. I understand that fight. You know, I, when I was, because what happened with me is I was in a Oscar-nominated documentary about military sexual trauma. So I had the platform. And because of that, you know, the, the Women's Veterans Benefits Administration called me up and made sure everything was okay and helped me walk through the, you know, 
the the whole complicated paperwork and claim adjudication process and all that shit. And all I kept thinking about the whole time was the thousands and thousands of other veterans who weren't in an Oscar nominated documentary that seemed to be getting left behind. And so then I made it my mission to to do what I could to make sure that nobody was left behind, you know? Yeah, no, I, I mean, that's all that you can do. I, I'll, I'll probably always have a great deal of, um, I mean, for lack of a better term, survivor's guilt, because, uh, you know, I stood up and said the things that I've said and have received, you know, a great deal of attention. I, I think that it's, you know, I, I don't know, there's people's perception of the type of attention that I've received is is a little askew. You know, while there's been some some really positive interactions, there's been a lot of negative interactions. And then I don't think people recognize how much I loved my job working narcotics with the Metropolitan Police Department. Um, that was my life for 20 years. And I slept, breathed, ate, and shit being a drug police. And I miss it dearly. And I miss the people that I worked with dearly. And trying to circumnavigate this new life uh, is incredibly difficult and isolating and um, it's lonely. Hmm. Yeah, I know we talked a little bit about that um, at Kathy's with uh, all the sort of uh, runaround you were getting after the events and trying to figure out where you were going to go and where you were going to end up. How did that end up shaking out? What's where are where are you now? Well, I still have my contributorship at CNN. I think I'm hanging on to that by a by a thread. <laughs> oh, but uh, no, I mean, you know, the book comes out, and uh, I'm looking forward to doing some media behind that and getting an opportunity to talk about you know some of these issues that are uh, near and dear to my heart. Hopefully. I can accomplish at least one of those, you know, goals, which is acknowledgement for the officers. Accountability would be nice too. Mm. So I love talking about um, officer wellness. I think that it's a uh, a key factor in policing and police reform that has not been addressed, and the you know physical, psychological, and emotional toll that this job can take on you. You know, not just for those of us that experienced January sixth, but um, what it's like to interact with people at their worst eight to 10 to 12 hours a day, you know, six, seven days a week for two, three decades. And, you know, a lot of the actions that I've seen officers, you know, the way they've conducted themselves, I don't necessarily see racist police officers, although there are certainly plenty of those to go around. I see a lot of officers who've become indifferent to the people that they're interacting with. And I, you know, to be totally honest with you, I don't know if I fucking blame them. There's not a lot uh, that departments and cities do to support these officers emotionally. And, you know, fortunately, we're, we're even behind the fucking military, which is probably about 20 years behind where it should be addressing those things itself. And there's still a huge stigma regarding, you know, mental health. I know that, uh, you know, I've talked about it publicly. It's become like a big issue for guys like Harry Dunn and, and gals like Carolyn Edwards. And they've received a lot of criticism. I mean, shit, I talked about what I was going through and Donald Trump called me a pussy. So I think we're a long ways away from, you know, really addressing those realities. Well, let me take a look at your mug. <laughs> it's the Roadrunner Josh Holly. Is that that? Yeah, it's the Roadrunner Josh Holly, courtesy of, uh, I don't know, Etsy. Etsy's out there fighting a the good fight, too. But yeah. Yeah. Who, Josh Holly, who you mentioned in the Rolling Stone article, by the way. I mean, I, I'm trying to help promote his book on fucking masculinity uh, when it comes out. <laughs> You know, like, A.G., what the fuck? <laughs> I mean, did, well, is, you got to tan your a, testicles, right? And... I thought it was a joke. I thought all this shit is a joke. People send this stuff to me, and I, I'm like, I'm waiting to click on it, and it says, like, it, this is the onion. 
or um, you know, it's like one of those memes where you click on the link and that big naked dude pops up and you're <laughs> you're looking at his dick. But it was it's it's real. Josh Hawley wrote a book about fucking being a masculine man in America. <laughs> Tucker Carlson's investing in tanning beds for your genitals to help replenish the testosterone that apparently Democrats have been sucking out of me for, I don't know, since the Clinton administration. I mean, come on. Yeah, I don't know. I know it's it, it's total parody. Like a like if we were in a comedy writers room, they'd be like, "No, that's just too on the nose. We can't we can't possibly use that. It yeah. doesn't make any fucking sense." If they put that on Saturday Night Live, I would not watch it. I would turn it off and say, "This is stupid." <laughs> yeah, no, I understand. I understand. But but you know, we, we elected these people collectively. There's a constituency out there for Josh Hawley somewhere. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I just I hope that it's just it's laziness and it's um, it is the, the more people that don't show up to the polls. That's how these that's how folks like that get elected is when people don't show up to vote, because when people show up to vote, better people win the day. That's why I participated in the Rolling Stone article. You know, I've done all these interviews on CNN. I've done all these interviews on, you know, the inside the Beltway news networks. Fox News won't have me, you know. Oh, well, but, you know, that really like these problems that we're facing today, we may not solve them in our lifetime. But I have four beautiful daughters that I would like to live in a world that's, you know, maybe not free of, but has a lot less bigotry, you know, sexual discrimination. And so, like, I'm fighting for for them. I thought, you know, hey, Rolling Stone. I could be a little bit more me and maybe that'll appeal to some younger people that have just become so indifferent with their, you know, with older Americans fucking up America and the world that they would, um, you know, maybe engage. Yeah. And it's authentic, too. And and your your book is dedicated to the women in your life. I saw that. Yeah. Uh, in the front cover. So it's been great to see you. It's been great to talk to you again. The book comes out. October 11th. I recommend everybody read the Rolling Stone article. You can, I think you can get like a trial if there's a paywall. There's a way to read it. I know you get a couple of free hits there. And the book is called Hold the Line, The Insurrection of One Cop's Battle for America's Soul by Mike Fanone. I'm sure I'll see you again soon, my friend. Thank you, ma'am. Everybody stick around. We'll be right back with the good news. Hey, everybody. I've had my Helix mattress for a long time now. It's been totally amazing. It's the best sleep I've ever had, head and shoulders above any other bed I've ever owned. And it's all because I'm using a mattress customized for the way I sleep. Helix Sleep has a fantastic lineup of 14 unique mattresses, including a collection of luxury models, a mattress for big and tall sleepers. They even have a mattress made just for kids. And you can find which one is perfect by taking the online sleep quiz at helixsleep.com slash dailybeans. It's only two minutes. They'll match your body type and sleep preferences to the perfect mattress. They'll ship it right to your door free of charge. And you get 100 nights to try try it out and see if you love it. And if you don't love it, they'll come and pick it up and give you a full refund, but you will love it. Every Helix mattress is a hybrid design. They combine individually wrapped steel coils in the base with premium foam layers on top. It's the perfect combo of comfort and support. Plus, Helix mattresses are American-made, and they come with a 10- or a 15-year warranty, depending on the model you get. I took the Helix Sleep Quiz. I was matched with the Helix Midnight because I am a side sleeper who prefers a medium-firm mattress. And it is the best bed I've ever owned. Helix right now is offering up to $200 off all mattress orders plus two free pillows for our listeners. Just go to helixsleep.com slash dailybeans. That's helixsleep, H-E-L-I-X sleep.com slash dailybeans. With Helix, better sleep starts now. Everybody, welcome back. It's time for the good news. Who likes good news, everyone? Then good news, everyone. Good news, good news. And if you have any good news, confessions, corrections, photos of your pets, adoptable pets in your area, pet Tic Tacs, you know, we talked about that the other day, Dana. Shout outs to people in your life who are amazing. Anything you want to send to us, Halloween photos, it's coming up so soon. Oh my gosh. I know you're so excited. 25 days. You can send it to us by going to dailybeanspod.com and clicking on contact. And remember, everyone, check your voter registration status. 
be sure to know how to vote in your area. Make a plan. You can check out howto.vote to get all the info for voting in your state. And remember, you got to convince people who have never voted or wouldn't vote to come with you. First up from Daniel Duncan. Oh, Daniel Duncan, pronouns he and him. Hey, y'all, it's been a rough month on the campaign trail, but I got an interesting surprise last night. It's a little long. Please indulge me. I think it's instructive. I've been able to cut back at work to only 48 hours, giving me an extra day each week to focus on campaigning. But just as I was getting used to the time shift that entailed, my mom's heart stopped oh, Jesus. during a, a routine surgery, and we thought she wouldn't make it. So I've been struggling to give the campaign enough attention and take care of my mental health. First therapy appointment is in four hours. So my wife and I decided to do bar trivia for the first time last night. We had a blast and lost terribly. <laughs> during a break, I ran into my Republican opponent, old stewed vegetables himself. Like I literally ran into him as I was exiting the bar to go get a Lisa Ellis for superintendent of education card for an interested fellow trivia player. And Stuart was walking in carrying some coffee urns. We both greeted each other as we passed through the door. Weird, right? The guy has not publicly acknowledged me or made any sign that he's campaigning since winning his primary, but he knows me on sight. Turns out the local Republican Party was meeting across the street at the courthouse and discussing election integrity. Oh, Jesus. Given that Stu isn't openly campaigning, I'm taking this as a sign that they're worried about how well Democrats are about to do in South Carolina. Since Stu sponsored the latest election law, he doesn't have a leg to stand on to challenge results. But we know that won't stop him. No pet tax. I've already taken enough time. But I'll make sure to take some at my victory party next month. Hell yes. As we all know Daniel Duncan is running for state rep in South Carolina's District 14. I love it. And this next one is from Danielle, pronouns she and hers. So I did it. I went back and I listened to Charismatic Megaplastics. <laughs> it's a good thing I work remotely. I want to thank you both for making the insanity bearable. The swearing is 100% necessary. And since Stephanie can't, I'm so glad you have, Frangela and Bob Seska, for that. And that's why I'm now a patron for all of you. In 2020, I became a poll worker. And the midterms will be my fifth election already. Nice. It does make me nervous because I'm in a red county and there's a few maggots <laughs> where there are giant truck flags around here. My good news is there have been quite a few people that I fully expected to rant and wing nut craziness in me. But to my surprise, they, we, they were actually Dems. And that gave me hope. I'm excited for the possibilities, and I hope I never again go to bed devastated by the results. The youngest generation of voters has the possibility to save us all. For pet tax, here are my foster fails as babies, and they're two years old now. Goodness. They came to me with the names Carrot, the white flame point, and Potato, dilute calico. I call them Carrie and Poe. <laughs> That's awesome. They are my world, along with their geriatric asshole brother, Norman. <laughs> <laughs> when I when I had a mild heart attack last year at 39, mind you, the three of them took turns keeping me company and warm. Thanks for all you do. Danielle, I am so glad that you are alive, my dear. Yes, because geriatric asshole brother Norman might have eaten your face. Oh, my God. Um, look at the two kittens at the end. Look at the babies. Oh, Hello, babies. I love flame points. I had a flame point named Dipstick because, you know, he's all white with a little orange on the end of his tail. So he looked nice. like a dipstick. And he was cross-eyed, so it just, it worked. These are such good babies. Thank you so much. And again, so glad you're okay. Wow, 39. Ugh, glad you're hanging in, girl. All righty, let's see. Next up, from Kate, pronouns she and her. Good news all around. Hi, Allison, Dana, and Amy. Miss you. I wrote in about a year ago, right after starting therapy. Well, I'm still in therapy and much happier for it. Thank you once again for the tag at the end. The weight was lifted once I stopped trying to tackle my mental health alone. That weight lifted was huge. But on to even more good news. I've attached a collage with three pics. The top is a pic I snapped back in 2020. It is a rural town where I work several days a week. As you can see, it's deep Trump country. I used to have to drive past many, many Trump signs on my way in and park right under that one at the town center. Over the years, the Trump yard signs slowly came down, but this giant sign was nailed to the inside of a building, so I had assumed it was here to stay. Well, two weeks ago, it was gone. I honestly thought they were just painting the building and it'd be back up. But look what replaced it yesterday in the bottom pick, a beautiful mural. I know this doesn't mean everyone around me has changed their political views, but at least they aren't plastering their buildings with MAGA support. 
and that seems like progress to me. My pod pet tax is brothers Walter and Norbert. Norbert loves clothes and insisted on wearing his Hufflepuff sweater vest on today's walk. Thanks for everything. Cute. Oh, look at that mural. That's awesome. Meet me in Washington. That is beautiful. Yeah. Look at the doggos. Hi, puppies. They're sweet. So sweet. All right. This next one is from Joanna. Pronouns she and her. I'm writing to tell you my good news from the last week. It may not seem like much, but at the age of 34, I graduated cosmetology school. 12 years of medical and mental health setbacks. I finally started school last September. The year that followed was intense. I had to leave a toxic relationship, move into an Airbnb without my emotional support cat. I missed so much school moving that I had to do double classes for the next three months. I wouldn't have been able to finish if it wasn't for my mom and grandma, who each called me every day. Here's a pic for my graduation with them by my side. My grandma let me color her hair to match mine. Oh, for pet tax, I've pictured on a walk with Hazel. Joanna, congratulations. Your grandmother has the sweetest face, too. I know. I want to. I want hugs. Oh, what a fantastic picture. Congratulations, darling. That is so much hard work. So well-deserved. Wow. Oh, my goodness. Hmm. Sorry, that just makes me so happy. I love it. I love it. All right. Thank you, everyone, for sending in your photos. Really appreciate you and um, all of this really, really great news. If you have any great news you want to send to us, please don't hesitate to do so. You can do it by going to dailybeanspod.com and clicking on contact. I'll be back tomorrow. Dana will be back Tuesday. Don't forget, we've got a great Michael Cohen interview coming your way on Monday. Lots of stuff going on, and uh, I'll be here for all of it for you until tomorrow. I'll be, like I said, Dana. You won't be here tomorrow, and I'm going to miss you. I won't. I know. I'll miss you all, too, but I'll be back in your ears Tuesday morning. So I need I need to know what your final thoughts are for your long weekend. My final thoughts are just, everyone, help that you find some joy in your day. There's a lot of shit going on. There's a lot of heavy news. Just find something. Shift your energy. It's the smallest things that do it. Marvel at something for five minutes. I dare you. <laughs> I dare you to marvel at something. That's good. Good advice. All right, everybody. Until next time, please take care of yourselves. Take care of each other. Take care of the planet. Take care of your mental health. And vote blue over Q. And please take someone with you. I've been AG. And I've been DG. And them's The Beans. The Daily Beans is written and executive produced by Allison Gill with additional research and reporting by Dana Goldberg and Amy Carrero. Sound design and editing is by Desiree McFarlane with art and web design by Joel Reeder with Moxie Design Studios. Music for The Daily Beans is written and performed by They Might Be Giants. And the show is a proud member of the MSW Media Network, a collection of creator-owned podcasts dedicated to news, politics, and justice. For more information, please visit mswmedia.com. MSW Media. <laughs>